Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are rolling into Luke chapter 18. We've got a couple of parables we're dealing with, the parable of prayer, uh, the Pharisee and the publican, which is a story that Jesus tells, and then the rich young ruler, uh, as well as Bartimaeus receiving sight at the end. We will most likely split this chapter again into two sections, but we're going to we're going to get launching right into this um, with the parable on prayer. So what stands out to you, sir? Sure. Well, first of all, it, it seemed like it was become, becoming evident that the kingdom of God that Jesus has been talking about through all this didn't seem like that, they, that it was going to take off right away, that it wasn't all this commencement wasn't going to happen or some of the things that he had talked about were not we're not immediately going ha- to happen, as some of the some of the deci- disciples had thought that it would and hoped that it would. And uh, as we now well know, there was going to be a long period of delay because we're here. We are two thousand years later. Uh, we know there's there was this delay between the first and second coming of the Lord, and the kingdom of God was definitely going to be established, but it wasn't going to be immediately. So when Luke wrote this gospel, it seems like that some of the folks he was talking to were starting to come to that conclusion to a certain extent. He hadn't gone to the cross yet, so they had a limited knowledge of what he was talking about, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday. But, uh, but Luke's writing was, it, it, he's writing it afterwards, obviously, but so his writing seems like it's kind of hinting at uh, or implying uh, that this this was going to be delayed somewhat. So then we roll right into where he starts to yeah, teach this more and more. Absolutely, I think I think if we're coming off of yesterday's podcast and we're and we're talking a lot about eschatology and the fact that that this this previous chapter uh, may not actually have to do with eschatology as mm-hmm. much. It may have to do with with this judgment that is coming and and those uh, that judgment for the people who reject the Christ, the Messiah, uh, who Jesus is. Um, the Pharisees seem to have a similar problem with timing that Jesus addresses them in in chapter 17 by saying that the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that you will observe. It's, it's not coming in a way that you're going to identify it exactly the way you think you will. So he goes and he says, because the truth is the kingdom is here. The kingdom mm-hmm. is standing mm-hmm. right in front of you. And that was challenging to them. But the disciples are wondering about these things, mm-hmm. which is why he goes into that last piece in 17. So chapter 18 begins at verse one says, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And I think we have to go based on your brief summary uh, to engage with our our hearts and our minds on this to say they they would be losing heart in some way. This this seems to be going beyond just a general prayer for, mm-hmm. hey God, I need you to come through in my life because things aren't seeming to add up. This is about the kingdom. It's about a culmination of that kingdom. It's about it's about so much more. And they're they are running the risk of losing heart. Yeah. So Jesus says, you need to keep pushing, you need to pray, and you need to not lose heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very notable because I think Luke is seeing this. Of course, there, there again, he's removed from this. This is several years after all of these things happened. And now I think that the Holy Spirit obviously was 
telling him what, what he needed to say. So this one starts off kind of different here. He, he, Luke begins this parable not in the typical way that he's begun. Uh, he, start, he tells us what the meaning will be right up front. Yes. He tells us this is, this is going to, uh, uh, to, to, to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. And I think you're right. I think losing heart had a dual meaning here, that, that Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's in your midst, and it's here, and it's coming. And, it's, and, and they were getting it sometimes, and sometimes they were not. But it was, a, it, it was a, uh, an opportunity for them to, to lose heart in all that. And then secondly, I think we'll see later on that I think that Jesus was saying, now, in the overall situation, I don't want you to lose heart, but there are certain circumstances, of course. specific circumstances, that you don't need to lose heart in either. Yeah. I think I think that is that's beautiful to say. There's a principle that can be gained here of uh, persistent prayer. Yes. But- but we've already talked about that because Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The, the, the instruction that comes immediately after the Lord's prayer in Luke's gospel instructs them on how to be persistent, like the persistent mm-hmm. widow. We, we remember those, those kinds of things. So we're going we're gonna to roll into this and kind of see a principle, but a, a more particular overarching way of not losing heart, which is for the kingdom of God. So verse two, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, so this, this is the widow. It was another story back in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it says there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling, but afterwards, he said to himself, I love this internal dialogue of mm-hmm. this wicked uh, judge, <laughs> right? You know, this, this unfaithful judge here. He says, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, love, I love that picture. Um, but what we have here in this parable is a contrast, and that's the important yes. thing. This isn't a parallelism to say this is like the other in any way that other than that the judge will ultimately do what's asked of them. This is more of a contrast that says, if that's why that person would do it, how much more would God do this for the people Mm -hmm. he loves, Mm -hmm. right? So verse 6 rolls in, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Mm -hmm. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Give me some thoughts on that. I I believe that, uh, first of all, this man was was not a... (laughs) He obviously was not a godly man. And uh, we can can read that he likely would not have been one of the... uh, uh, San, the Sanhedrin or a Hebrew judge. Uh, he, b- b- this guy was uh, was probably either a part of people of someone that was being paid by the Romans or by Herod, uh, and he. So he certainly was not a part of the of the Jewish 
Sanhedrin because there would probably have been more than one judge in that situation. Right. It wouldn't have been one man. But he's, it's, it's pretty interesting to hear his character, and he, he's completely good with it. <laughs> he's okay. Yes. I, knowing, he says, well, yeah, because I'm not a man that uh, uh, I, don't, I don't fear God, and I don't respect men either. So right, right. I've it's, got a problem with everybody. <laughs> it is an interesting title uh, about this uh, made-up character, because, yes. again, this is a parable. Yes. But it's an interesting thing about this made-up character, and it does get to a fundamental um a fundamental truth that I believe as Christians we live by or we ought to live by. It seems that a man who doesn't fear God uh, describes a man who lacks the most fundamental requirement for being a judge. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What do you think a judge ought to do? Shouldn't he be a, a person of wisdom and knowledge and understanding? Shouldn't he be that mm. person? Well, the scripture tells us that the, the real way those things come about is through fear of the yes. Lord, yeah. which is why this particular judge is actually uh, not a good judge, mm-hmm. okay? He's mm-hmm. not a good judge. Now, although, although those are really fun points to point out, the point here is the contrast. You have the judge that... Fear, doesn't fear God, therefore lacks wisdom and doesn't understand things. And that's contrasted with the God of the universe, with the God who does bring about justice for his elect. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But here's the fundamental piece for Christians. Um, we believe deeply that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are connected to the fear of the Lord then we better be a people who fear the Lord. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do we cry out day and night for wisdom? Are we people like James would say, which is to to call out to him and God says that he will give. If you ask, he's going to give it. And in that context in James, it's about wisdom. If we are going to do that, we have to remember what we're we're actually uh, professing to God. And that is, I revere you, Lord. I fear you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I trust you for a thing. I have faith in you for a thing. So uh, to be somebody unlike this judge would be to be a person who fears the mm-hmm. Lord. And yes. I think that that's vital. Yes, absolutely. I love the fact that even though like you, you've said this is a man in a, in a story that has just almost a fictional character, if you will, and, but, but the detail that Jesus puts into this is, is quite startling. I mean, even the wording that's used, and this is, uh, I, I, I love the fact that, that, that they take so much time to explain this wording. This thing that when he says that this woman would, would wear him out, it's, Luke is, is using terms like from a, a fight, yeah. He said he's. She's essentially saying that she would give him that she would give him a hit him under the eye, get him, give him a black eye, and and so there's so much descriptive language that that goes. Jesus is really trying to explain. He's wanting us to get the essence of what this man's about. Yes. Even though he's a fictional man, he's he is completely in contrast mm-hmm. to the God that yes. Jesus is trying to portray here. And yet at the same time and this is where this is where uh, you you let us off by sharing the most important piece of this parable by saying very rarely do we have a parable that says here's the point Which of this. About. The most important thing is to look at the widow and understand her persistence. Yes. She is willing an unmerciful judge a, a, a judge who doesn't fear God, she's willing to 
wear him out. Mm-hmm. She's willing to, like you said, she's willing to go to the mat with this guy mm-hmm. because of a need she has. And Jesus would contrast us in this to say, are we willing to go to the mat with him? Mm-hmm. Now, here's our promise. He's faithful. He's going to answer us quickly. But what do we need to learn about persistent prayer, yes. right? Again, verse 1, the parable was to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You should be praying. Why does Jesus include this piece about not losing heart? Because that line later that says he will not delay long over them or that he will not uh, that he will bring about justice quickly. Uh, those terms are God's timing terms, yes, yes, and that's where we have a problem with this. So, so Jesus at the same time says, I want to contrast who I am versus this non-God-fearing mm-hmm, judge, mm-hmm. okay? I, I, want to, I want to show you that persistence will gain you what you're mm-hmm. wanting. So be persistent. Mm-hmm. But I also want you to know that the reason why in my kingdom, in my economy, in my way, it's going to gain you what you're asking for is because I'm good. Yes, yes. It's because I am wise, and it's because I do love my elect. I do love those who are my own, okay? And so he loves those who are his own. The other judge does not. He just doesn't want to put up with this woman. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be worn out about this. But in the persistent nature, be persistent with both. And remember, no matter how long the delay is, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. don't lose heart. Yes. Don't lose heart. He doesn't say, and this is really important, he doesn't say, don't lose heart if you're dealing with a judge who doesn't fear God. He also is including himself. Don't lose heart. Right. I'm going to answer right. you. And I'm going to answer you quickly. It's just not yes. the quick you think of, right? Yes. So that's really important. It, it is. And, and he uses the, uh, this is a very complicated story in some, in some ways, because if you look at verse five, Jesus is saying first that this, that this unjust judge, he reluctantly answers. Uh-huh. So he, so Jesus is not saying out. that this, that God was like this guy. Mm-hmm. He was saying God was very much unlike this guy. Yes. And, and, but then he turns right around in verse six and he wants you I, I, this was startling to me. He said he didn't draw the d- disciples' attention to the words of the widow so much, but in verse 6 he says, right. and hear what the unrighteous judge said. He wants that contrast to be so drastically different Amen. when it comes around to the, to, to, the, to the actual point he's making that he wants them to understand a stark difference between what this judge does and what God does. And it's the persistence in prayer. It was her persistence, even though he did it out of reluctance, she, he, he still, he still did what she asked because she was persistent. Absolutely. So let's, let's quote that judge again in verse four, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, well, thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) Not a nice guy. Yet, because this widow bothers me. Okay. So, so, Tick off these two things. He doesn't fear, or three things. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect her. He actually sees her as a bother. I will give her legal protection. I'm going to give her what she's asking for. Uh, Otherwise, by continually coming, she's going to wear me out. I'm giving it to her, not because I'm good, because Mm -hmm, I care, mm -hmm. because any of those things. I'm giving it because I'm tired. 
because I don't want to put up with this. Now, there's many people throughout human history that actually view God to be this way. They view him in this deistic sense, or they view him in this mm-hmm. in this way that says um, we're uh, God is fickle, and we're begging him for things, and if we beg him enough, he'll finally give it over to us. That is precisely the opposite of what Jesus says God is. Yes. God is actually saying, Jesus is saying that he, number one, uh, especially if we're talking about Jesus himself, he respects his father, so he does fear God in that in that respect. But God ultimately is God, so that's the beautiful thing. He does respect man. Uh, David says this, what yes. is man that you would be yes. mindful of? Yes. For some reason, God respects man. He honors man. He, he gives him time of day. Now, there's a specific man he respects, and this is where I want to go next. But he says, uh, and he is not bothered by us. Mm-hmm. He actually, mm-hmm. remember the beginning of this, he's invited them to persistent prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so unlike that wicked judge, he has said, I want you to bang down my door. I want you to yes. wear me out because yes. you can't wear me out, right? Yes. So he's not bothered by us in any uh, way, shape, or form. And he is going to do what we ask. He's going to do that, but he's going to do it because of his character. Yes. And I think that's the important thing. Hear what that unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect? That is uh, a word literally translated his chosen, mm-hmm. who cry to him day and night. And will he delay long over them? The, the question is asked in such a fashion. Again, the Greek, the Greek language is beautiful in that it implies the negative answer. Will he delay long over them? No, is the implied answer. Mm-hmm. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Mm-hmm. However... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So here's two pieces of connection that I want to draw our attention to. Number one is that there is a lot, uh, there's a lot brought up in Christian circles about this term elect, okay? And it does mean chosen of God. Now, this is all that I would I would really care to say here. There, I have a lot to say about this, but there, this is all I care to say here. All that this does is identify a people group, the chosen of God. Mm-hmm. It never communicates how they are chosen. Right. So to try to come up with, uh, you know, some sort of strange soteriology by saying, see, there's that word again, and we, you know, we're chosen by God. None of this passage says how. None of it says how. Now, the scripture is clear mm-hmm. on how that we are chosen in Christ Jesus. That is how we are elect in God, um, that we are a part of him. But the point still remains that what is said here is simply that God brings about justice for his people, his chosen people. This is common language throughout uh, the Old Testament. We've seen this uh, throughout the Old Testament referring to Israel, but we also see it in the New Testament referring to Christians, Mm -hmm. those covenanted believers that Uh, are saved by grace through faith. Now, along with this conversation piece, often comes this idea of um, uh, who 
causes a person to become a part of the elect. And so one of the one of the challenges, one of the the uh, the thoughts is is offered up that says Ephesians two eight and nine says that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves; it's a gift of God. And some I've I've shared this many times as a pastor, but many argue and say that the what is not what is a gift here is both faith and grace. Mm-hmm. That faith is the gift of God, and that is how you can effectually believe in Jesus. And the reason why people who espouse this view are so staunch on it is because they want to remove man from the equation of salvation. They want to remove any part of man because if we're truly saved by grace through faith, then man, it's not of ourselves. It's right. not of ourselves. However, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is very keenly focusing that the offer of saving grace is not something we merited. We didn't make God save us. He didn't have to. He could have judged us and condemned us completely. But the idea is that some espouse the idea that God would then have to give the faith so that you can put your faith in him. Remember how I've defined faith many times. Faith is trust and that is all. But faith is from the individual. And it is a response to the gospel message. So, so in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, we are saved by grace through faith. And that, that refers back to grace. That is not something we've done. But our faith is something that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to use this passage to actually prove that faith is ours. Because if it is not ours, Jesus's idea here, his question patently absurd. Mm -hmm. Think about this. Mm -hmm. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. Now, who is he talking about in he here? He's talking about God God, himself, right? He says, however, when the son of man comes, and I love his question because Mm -hmm. it clears this issue up, Mm -hmm. will he find faith on the earth? If God's the one who gave the faith, why is he asking the stupid question? If God gave the faith, He knows whether or not he's going to find it. He's the one who gave Mm -hmm. it. This question proves yet again, will he find a people who are responding? A people who are, and what is the parable communicating? Will he find a people who are at all times praying but not losing heart? Will they trust him for the answer? Or are they going to go to the unjust judge? Are they going to go to the people who don't fear God? Are they going to lose faith in Jesus Christ? So interestingly enough, just to recap that point, is that the elect here simply says the chosen of God, but it Mm -hmm. indicates no, in no way in this passage how we are made elect. Okay, we got to learn that elsewhere in the scripture. But what we do learn is important in the argument of, is faith a gift of God? And if it were a gift of God, this question makes no sense. Why would Jesus even wonder if he will find faith? He either gave it or he didn't, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So, No, I think that's extremely important. And it's, it's very, very helpful to see that there are so many things that Jesus is saying in here that we we need to really we need to read and reread yes. some of these things to get to this and i think part of the part of the issue is that these uh, Jesus is telling them along with this he said look, look listen I, you can you can count on the fact 
that I'm going to return, that, that the kingdom of God is going to be coming. All these, he's been teaching them this in so many other ways. You can count on the fact that, that I'm going to return and that I'm going to bring justice when I come. He's, yes. this is, he's talking about he's contrasted the unjust judge with God, and it's a stark, stark uh, contrast. He says, so there's going to be justice on the earth. And, and, and the issue for us is, is not whether or not God will fulfill what he says he's going to do and that we're going to be part of his elect, but are you going to be faithful? Yes. Are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? Yes. Are, am I going to be able to see that? So we shouldn't worry about the Lord's faithfulness. It should, you know, we should we should make yes. sure that we're faithful. That that's part. But I but I love what you said because it brings it out very very clearly. Jesus would have made no sense to ask no, to ask that question if it had been a gift of God. So so in in another sense. One of the things, and I, I love to challenge the way we read things, one of the things that we like to say is, are things like this, when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns. But do you notice that verse 8 has, says nothing about Jesus returning? Mm. I'm not saying that it's not about his return. I'm simply saying we need to make sure we read the words on the page. It says, I tell you that he, this is God the Father, mm-hmm. will bring about justice for them quickly. And here is the caveat. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? There is one way in which we can read this, that it says, when the Son of Man comes, I'm here. You don't even know that I'm I'm who I say I am. At least the Pharisees aren't getting that the kingdom is right there in their midst. He says, will I find faith? And much of Jesus' ministry, he does not find mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. He actually marvels at some. He says, man, I've, not, I've never found such great faith in all of Israel. I came didn't find any faith. Yes. Had to find it in, had to see it in an outsider. So just just food for thought there. I'm not suggesting that this is not re- referring to his second coming, but remember, they didn't have that as their file folder. They, they didn't even right. realize that right. he had to go to the cross. And we're going to see that even clearer in just a couple of seconds. Yeah. So I, I, I think we can roll right on into sure. this Pharisee and the publican story. Yes. So, verse nine, uh, you want to give a sum up of this one? Sure. As well? Yes. Go it, for it. It, well, it seems to be in this first parable. It seems to be that there. It seems to be that that the disciples are the ones being addressed. It seems like that's the the main uh, crowd, and in the second, it's the the self righteous <laughs> would be would certainly be being addressed. Those are and Jesus is is getting ready to comment to those that were confident of their own righteousness and kind of look down on everybody else. So the first parable we've we've talked about, and the second one is going to be something drastically different from that, I think, in that this is about righteousness, and this is about what true righteousness is, and there are many other things in this. So absolutely. absolutely. So verse 9, and he also told this parable, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous <laughs> and viewed others with contempt. So, so in that first parable, we're clear. He's it's telling all, us again. It's, it's all about persistent prayer. In this parable, he is saying, I'm actually dealing with people who trust in themselves yeah. and their own righteousness. So keeping that in mind as we read it, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, (laughs) swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he could touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began to rebuke them, but Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Yes. So right off the bat, we have the meaning of the parable, and then we have this secondary story here, mm-hmm. which was not a parable. It was an actual event. The yes. babies, they were being brought. You have the parable, and you have the meaning of that parable as people trusting in themselves for their own righteousness. So the two people groups, you have a Pharisee and a tax collector. Yes. Any thoughts on those uh, two yes. people groups? Two drastically different views of God, two drastically different methods. It's that two men went up to the temple to pray, drastically different prayer. In this parable, both men prayed, but both men didn't necessarily go to God in the, in the same way. The Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, but he didn't really pray necessarily. Look, look what it says. He, he was praying this to himself. He was kind of almost talking to himself, if you will. Now, I understand where this can be considered a prayer, but, it, but he, it, there, he goes on. He used the word I five times. It, now, it's entirely possible, don't get me wrong, to address words to God, but actually be praying to yourself. Yes. But if your focus is on yourself, not on God, and your passion and what you're talking about is your agenda and not God's, and it's your attitude is going to be that, Lord, I want my will to be done, not yours. This man was uh, full of praise for himself. Yes. He was full of praise for himself. But uh, I, I just see a, a totally different view of God, a stark contrast again, if you will, but certainly a different meaning in that contrast. Yeah. He even thanks God that he is not like other men. It's, it's when you compare yourself to others, and he's obviously comparing himself to a tax collector who the, who the Jews would have looked at as a, a, a traitor. They had gone to work for the Absolutely. Romans. And they were not well-liked. So he's comparing himself to someone that was pretty much hated. Well, he looks really great compared to this guy. Yeah, yeah. Everybody hates these tax collectors. And the Pharisees were, in general, well-respected by the Jews because they looked like they were very uh, godly men, if Absolutely. you will. So just just several pieces. And I think right off the bat, which is piggyback off of what you, you started with, which is praying this to himself. Um, there's a lot of ways that this has been interpreted. People people think that this is just self-speak. And we, we can stop and we should stop for a second and talk about that. Um, watch your prayers. Yeah. Watch your prayers. If If What's really happening is you're just processing your thoughts out loud and talking to yourself. Acknowledge what that is. It's just, yeah. you're just self-speak. It's just, you're, you're processing out loud. You're talking to yourself. Don't confuse that with genuine prayer. Yes. Uh, the second way that people read this, or another way that people read this, and, and I believe that this is the right way. I think it, it is saying the Pharisee stood and was praying this 
to himself, meaning mm-hmm. not out loud to other people, meaning he was not trying to get everybody to hear him. Now, here is why I believe that this is the case. I believe that he's praying this to himself because if he was to speak out loud, I think maybe some <laughs> of his sins would be made evident to other people, right? So here in this prayer, he's praising himself a whole lot. And I think even this Pharisee knows that that's a pretty wrong thing Mm -hmm, to do. mm -hmm. I believe it's the Proverbs who who tell us that our praise should come from the lips of others and not from our own lips, right? So so he, he stood and was praying this to himself. In other words, quietly to himself. But here's what he's praying. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, (laughs) swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, listen, this guy might not have been a swindler. He might not have been unjust. He might not have been an adulterer. That's all fine. Yeah. The issue comes when his position in his life is based on a comparison. Yes. It's based on his own righteousness. And so he says, I'm not even like this tax collector. Uh, Here's what I do, Lord. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. You know what? Maybe that's true. Mm -hmm. Who cares if it's true, right? The point is the heart behind it. And he's making, God knows what you do. Yes. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that God knows what we have need of before we even ask. So he, he even knows what we're going to pray before we pray mm-hmm. it. He knows what your actions are. He's not, he's not surprised at any of these mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. right? And this guy feels it necessary to remind God not only of all the things that maybe he does do right, but how he is set apart from another individual. Mm-hmm. Right there, we have this great problem. Uh, My Christian life, although I am the first one to say this, we are not Lone Ranger Christians, we are a part of a body, we are together. My Christian life is not hinged. My salvation is, number one, not, not conditioned on my works, my being righteous before God. Therefore, it would be absurd to think it's conditioned on being better than another person. Mm -hmm. Whether you, whether you think you're good or just better than another person, what you've done is you've missed that this is by grace. Yes. Oh, you've my You've missed yes. that you are a person who is a product of mercy. Yeah. Okay? Just because you acknowledge that you're a, a, a sinner that needs mercy doesn't mean you've done anything to earn it. The gift preceded anything. You're responding to the offer of the gift. But an amazing thing here is that this guy... This guy could have been all these things, but Jesus tells us in many accounts, he says, you know, people are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did this and that Mm -hmm. in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not conditioned on you. So why would it be conditioned on the comparison? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this guy is all about comparison. He he is. It's in his kind of so-called prayer, if you will. He's, He's praised himself and he's compared himself to other men. It's not hard to have a high opinion of yourself when you compare yourself to someone worse than you. It's not difficult to find people that you don't think do things as well as you or you. And, and the Pharisee was all about that. The other uh, piece of this that he go, he goes into at, like you've said, telling God what he's doing. I fast twice a week. Now this was going a little bit overboard because the Jews did fast twice a week. They, fasted on the second and the fifth day of each week. But and but those that were really 
wanting to show how pious they were, they would also do it on Mondays and Thursdays too, because Mondays and Thursdays, they would go into the marketplace, where that was the most people that were there, to show them they would go in with their hair uncombed and their faces whited out, showing them how pious they were, and they were fasting because they had a bigger crowd to show how holy that they were. There was a stage. It was, it was, it, it was, a, it was a show, and, it was, and I, this man was all about this. And to, to, have the, to have the guts to stand before God and say, how good I am, God. Yes. Look at this. Just look at how good I am, absolutely. especially compared to this guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, there's a there's a really fun uh, comic strip uh, that came that I that I noticed. It was several months back, but in the comic strip there was a man reading his Bible, and he was reading this story in his Bible, and it shows in one of the comic uh, panes, one of the windows. It says. It says, you know, thank God I'm not like this guy. And the guy reading his Bible said, Lord, thank you. I'm not like that Pharisee. And you realize very quickly (laughs) how we can be guilty of this. It is really easy for us to throw out this parable as a... As a, um, as a point of judgment towards somebody else. But in doing that, this thing was about self-reflection. This was not about what you, the log you can point out in your neighbor's eye, okay? Or the twig you can point out in your neighbor's mm-hmm. eye. The issue here was the log that's in your own eye. And we have to remove that first. It is, it is fascinating to me how many times people love to quote this story by saying, those Pharisees. You're doing the same thing the Pharisee was doing to the tax collector when you do that. You have no idea that your logic just went circular. you've, You've just put yourself into that mix. The truth of the matter comes when we just deal with the tax collector and then Jesus's main statement. Mm -hmm. Jesus, uh, responding to his own story that he tells, does not say, uh, I don't think that that uh, Pharisee was actually just at all. I think he was unjust. I don't think he was uh, clear of adultery. I think he was adulterer. Mm-hmm. Jesus never even touches that stuff. Right. Jesus really actually can offer him a lot of grace and say, maybe he did all those things right. The problem is he thinks he mm-hmm. is uh, worthy. Yes. He is, it's his pride that's involved. So, so the, we've got to be careful not to repeat the judgment Against those who right. are judging. Exactly. I, I love it when people go, oh, those pious Christians, those Pharisaical Christians, those this, those that. You're the same Pharisee. Yeah. Calm yeah. down. Yeah. You you be concerned about where your position is with God. None of us deserve to be here. Yes. None of us deserve to be here. Uh, we are here, praise God, right? By grace through faith. We are here. But deserve to be here? Yeah. That's absurd. So That's... verse 13, the tax collector stands some distance mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And he was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And this becomes that kind of quoted passage where it says, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just this. I'm mm-hmm. just this. The point was actually not in what the man says. The point was in the heart from which what was said comes. And that is, he was a person humbling himself. He's saying, I'm not worthy. Yes, he was, he was, it says that he was beating his breast in the original language. It says that he was continually 
beating his breast when he was saying these words. And we, we know from what the, what the Jews believed that the chest hairs were kind of the human heart, and that was regard, regarded as where the, the person's the sustainer of the life or the human seed of emotion uh, was located. But beating or smiting one's breast is, was a sign of extreme sorrow. I mean, even to the point of death. It, it's, it's, it shows total remorse yes. and, and symbolic of somebody who is truly repentant for what they've done. Such a different view of things. He would smite his breast. He would beat his breast again and again. And we, we, we know there are many uh, cultures that this is, a, this is a, a, an expression of grief as well, yes. a large expression of grief. So I think that he, and, and what he says is just beautiful. I, I, it's, he, he was even unwilling to look up to God. And beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, the sinner." And that, that, that word, merciful. Oh, it's huge. Oh my gosh. It's huge. Oh my gosh. He, the word in the is propitious. Yes. Which and Jesus was the propitiation, and we're, we're, yes. that is huge. The the payment he paid the penalty for our sin. He was the propitiation. And that for us. in in and of itself is one of the most important pieces of Jesus's wording. So he says that this one who humbles himself has declared the important thing. God be propitious to me. God propitiate me. You pay for me, the sinner, because I can't do it myself. That is the message that I think the church has to understand. And it is a message that I believe should accompany our gospel. This man comes to God, humbles himself, but he can't look up. He's, he's beating his chest. He recognizes himself as the person he truly is at the core of his being. And he is asking God to pay for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a powerful, powerful request, right? I mean, think about this thing. God, be merciful. My request, God, be the propitiation to me, the sinner, yes. because I can't do this my yes. own. I can't tithe enough. I can't be pious enough. I can't do any of these things. That right there changes the I, game yes. for our understanding. He's He... he had to have an atoning sacrifice that he could not bring, yes. that he couldn't do. He couldn't pay that. It's just an amazing, I, I, I love, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. And that's a very, very interesting word that he used. Justified is a strong word. Yes. But, and he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And there again, that's a yeah. that's another concept that Jesus taught in many other areas. Yes. Notice notice again that connection between the propitiation and the justification. Mm. What he is saying is that this man is justified. He is not justified by anything he's done. Right. He's justified because he has acknowledged Jesus alone yes. must do it, right? And he never says 
Neither of them are justified because this guy thinks he's getting saved because of his magic little pious prayer, and this guy thinks he's being saved by beating his breast. This doesn't come into Jesus' mind. What Jesus says is this man has humbled himself, and I love the line, for everyone who exalts himself... So who's, we all would say the one who exalts himself, that was done on his own initiative. But funny, we've got to apply that same logic and interpretation to the next. But he who humbles himself, mm-hmm. right? Humbling yourself is not working for salvation. Humbling yourself is recognizing I need somebody else to pay for my sins. Mm-hmm. But make no mistake, humble himself is required and that person will be exalted yes. because it's God's to do. Absolutely. The, the, it was the humi- humility is, is actually this man seeing himself as he really is. He could not do anything to, uh, to bring about this atoning sacrifice that he's asking for, the exactly. propitiation himself. But the Pharisee saw himself completely different. He did not see himself as a sinner needing God's, no. mer- God's mercy. We, if we go to God with pride, thinking that we that we're better or we're great, we don't need it. We 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 need to remember yes. that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the hum, yeah. to the humble, and, and, and you, it, it's so important. You're pointing out a very important thing. The first the first man in the parable, he doesn't even make a request of God. Right. He just says, "God, thank you that you made me like me." Right? What, yes. what kind of arrogance is that? And then the other guy says, I need help. Yeah, I need so, mercy. So the idea here for us as we move forward cannot be to ever say, first of all, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. Otherwise, we're repeating the problem. Yes. What we have to do is get that kind of thing out of our mind and run back to the place where we say, Lord, if, if it's not for you buying me out of this, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way for me. So what a powerful, powerful parable. Um, we roll into a, a, into a, a, fascinating set, a fascinating set of verses in 15, 16, mm-hmm. and 17 when it comes to the bringing of babies to Jesus. And, and so what we see is they brought their babies to him uh, so that he would touch them. Uh, but when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. <laughs> but, you know, like... What's the problem here? Yeah. Is this a giant waste of time? And yeah, we'll we'll see some of that. But but the point though is that the disciples step in and they kind of get in Jesus's way. Yeah. Uh, Peter does this a lot. We see James and John trying to call down fire from heaven, doing this a lot. They're getting in his way, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> calm down, guys. Yes. You know your zeal is uninformed. It's quite stupid. So sit down." Verse sixteen. But Jesus calls for them. Uh, called for them, saying. Permit the children to come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. Any thoughts on that? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, this was not an unusual situation. It was customary for uh, a mother to bring a child on their first birthday to a well-known rabbi to have him bless them. Blessings. And uh, we... We th- this draws my mind back to uh, Luke nine that we just read just a just a, f- a few weeks back a couple of weeks back, where an argument uh, among the disciples, and uh, they were they about which one of them would be the greatest, and Jesus did something very interesting. He said, knowing their thoughts, he took a little child 
and had him stand beside, beside him. Then he said to these two that were arguing with <laughs> about which one was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, he said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Yes. And I'm, I'm shocked that this hadn't, doesn't seem like that had been too lo- that far back. Right, right. And they stop him from bringing these kids. They're like, oh, I think you're probably asking for trouble. <laughs> yes, there. yes. Why do you all keep yes. getting in his way? It's absolutely the case. So uh, the disciples rebuking them, uh, it's just interesting, right? It's, it's an unsuccessful rebuke. Yes, but, yes. but to keep these people from coming to Jesus, um, it, it why would you do such a thing? Yeah. Why yeah. would you do such a thing? I mean, if Jesus is welcoming them and Jesus is already uh, blessing them and doing these things, you follow him. Absolutely. Right? They're, they seem to be taking the yeah. lead. Maybe they had the purest of right. motives at heart. Maybe they thought Jesus is tired. Maybe they, I, I, don't, I don't know what they thought, but my, they, they really went down the wrong path. Yes. But there is, there is something very important to note in verse 17. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. It's, it's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom of God belongs to little children right. or that they are already in the kingdom. He says that those who, who inherit or possess the kingdom will be like these children. Yes. Yeah. So, so what? How? I mean, what does that look like? There are some essential things about these kids that we can see in there, and it, it, you know, babies, and and some of these were actually babies. Some of them, I mean, a one-year-old is, is still a baby, but babies they can't do anything to merit the kingdom of God. Right. Exactly. They they don't they don't they've got humility. They've got innocence. They don't have yeah. any of these things that would prohibit someone from entering into the kingdom of God. There was no pride, no prejudice, no other worldly things in in their life. So I I think that's part of what he's saying, but it's it's so very important to note that he doesn't say that 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 these exactly. that they that the kingdom of God belongs to little children. But he says those who, those whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child yes. will not enter it. Yeah, I think I think later when we see Jesus dealing with Nicodemus and he says, unless you are born again, unless yes. you unless you are made new, um, the idea is this is this coming to him in faith as a child, you are starting over in this process. I think there's some uh, some interesting connection to this. I, I do love, and I read I read this passage before uh, a specific way. You'll, you'll notice this, that when I'm reading these passages, I'm often reading them with certain intended emotions. Um, I feel that we can derive these or understand these emotions, derive them from the text itself, um, but sometimes we have to go outside of one account to another. In uh, Mark's account of the same exact story in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw this, he was in 
indignant yes. and said to them. And the reason why before I read it to say, permit these children to come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then he goes to them, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Every depiction in every movie we've ever seen about the life of Jesus, we have Jesus looking at his his disciples and saying, permit the children to yes, come to me. Yes. And it's this hippie, happy Jesus <laughs> idea. And the problem is that's just simply not what happened. Exactly right. Okay. What did happen here is Jesus got mad. Yeah. Jesus got quite upset because there is a hindrance of some kind. We should not hinder anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think if we were to take these this story along with the previous parables, and we were to connect the the idea of hindrance, that Pharisee before who sees himself as awesome and self righteous and worthy of everything, uh, you can imagine if he's willing to say, "Thank God I'm not like that guy," he's also one willing to prevent that guy from coming to Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yes. It, this is this is a problem. Jesus when he turns the tables in the temple, he says, you know, you've you've made this a den of robbers, it should be a house of prayer. There are people who are trying to enter and you're making it complicated. Mm-hmm. You're even preventing them from doing it and you won't go in yourselves. Jesus is really ridiculing these different blockades to the kingdom of God, to his presence. And Sadly, his disciples show that kind of heart, like, oh, stop them from doing this or, or shoo those people out or, you know, push those off to the side or to the margins. No, stop. Yeah. Welcome any who will come to yes, him. Yes, absolutely right? right. And you pointed out very well, the kingdom of God, whoever uh, receives the kingdom of God like a child, right, is going to enter it. Whoever doesn't, receive it like a child with this simple trust, the simple like, okay, yes. it's your kingdom. I'm going to go for it. Um, they're not going to enter it at, at all. all. It's yeah. by grace through faith. That it's always a, the same. That's a hard statement to, sw- oh, yeah. to swallow there. That's Absolutely. A, certainly. Well, guys, it's been a great podcast again today. We've gotten through 17 verses, and we're going to wrap out tomorrow's podcast with the rest of Luke 18. We've enjoyed this conversation with you, and we want it to be just that, a conversation with you. So uh, please hit us up on Facebook in the comments section. Uh, You can also comment in the YouVersion Bible, uh, or you can comment on SoundCloud. You can send those to us and just engage with this conversation. Points of agreement, points of disagreement, um, just aha moments, whatever it might be. We want to hear from you. Uh, Words of encouragement, that's really helpful as well. Um, You can send us an email at piercepointchurch at gmail.com. You can send us an email at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or barneyestes at yahoo.com. So uh, we will see you again tomorrow. We hope that this has blessed you and we hope that you have a blessed day. See you tomorrow.